Good morning, everyone. Oh, that was a great worship time. I just want to say thank you to the worship team. You guys are incredible. I, was, I needed that. I don't know about anybody else, but I needed that this morning. Our time of worship, uh, just over the past several weeks, I have just really sensed the Lord's presence in new ways every week as we gather together. And I want to encourage you that if you've missed a service, if you've missed a time of being together, go back and watch that on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. You can see all of those services that, that you may have missed. I know it's summertime. You might have been away. You might have been traveling. So if you missed it, I don't want you to miss it forever. So go back and check it out. Participate in the worship. The hearts of the people that are on this stage here are just, they bless me every single week. And I'm so thankful to work with all the, all the team members here. So thank you guys so much for bringing us that this morning. Today's uh, message, our sermon today, is a little bit different than what we've been doing. Um, it has a little bit different tone, but I want to encourage all of you to, um, to dive into it with me because we all live in the same world, right? We all share some things in common. Even though you may be from different backgrounds, you may have had different experiences in church, out of church, no church, uh, you may have had different life stories, different experiences of things that have happened to you, different struggles, different trials, different tragedies. There are things that we all have in common, and one of the things that we in this room have in common is that we share an identity in a lot of different ways. We share an identity in the fact that we go to church together. We share an identity, uh, even if it's your first time here, we welcome you. You are welcomed here. You are part of this group. You're part of this church family if you want to be because we love you. And uh, we share an identity as people who uh, live in the United States of America and people who live on the planet Earth. I mean, we've got uh, some very basic things in common. So this morning I'm going to talk about some of those things, and I was thinking back to the fact that we all pretty much disliked the year 2020, right? The year 2020 was the year that brought us the COVID pandemic. Nobody really enjoyed that, right? But 2020 also brought us something else. It wasn't all bad because 2020 was the year that brought us the worldwide phenomenon, Hamilton the Musical, okay? I know we have some fans of Hamilton the Musical in the house, 2020 was the first time that you could stream Hamilton the Musical into your own home and watch it at home. The show had originally debuted off-Broadway in 2015, and it was a smashing su uh, success from the very start. And in just under six months, the production moved to Broadway, and it continued to gather accolades and awards of all kinds, not to mention huge ticket sales. The show was nominated for 16 Tony Awards in 2016, and it won 11 of those. And in fact, it also won the 2016 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. So if you're someone who hasn't seen Hamilton the Musical, first of all, I want to tell you, it does have some like adult content in it, so not, not anything too drastic, but there's some stuff there. If you've got kids and you're thinking about going home and watching it, just want you to know there's some language, there's some couple uh, themes in the, in the show that you might want to be aware of before you see it with your kids. Um, but it's a fictionalized retelling of the life story of Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton was a big name, one of our founding fathers. He was in revolutionary America. He was a contemporary with our first president, George Washington. So they lived at the same time. They knew each other. George Washington shows up in the show. And then he also was a contemporary with our third vice president named Aaron Burr. And Aaron Burr plays a big part in the show and in the story because he's actually the guy who ended up shooting and killing Alexander Hamilton in a duel. 
Um, I know that sounds really strange, so I guess you'll have to watch it if you want to know how that came about. Um, Some of the things that happen in the musical are historical fact. They actually happened the way that they're generally shown. Others have been altered. Some have been created for dramatic effect. But what the show does well is that it gives present-day Americans an an opportunity to give a window into our own history. The writer and the creator of the show's name is Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he's quoted as saying, it's a story of America then as told by America now. So I want you to watch with me just a quick short scene from the beginning of the musical. This is where Alexander Hamilton meets Aaron Burr for the first time, and Burr gives him some advice. Let's watch this. Pardon me, are you Aaron Burr, sir? That depends. Who's asking? Oh, well, sure. Sir, I'm Alexander Hamilton. I'm at your service, sir. I have been looking for you. I'm getting nervous. Sir, I heard your name at Princeton. I was seeking an accelerated course of study. When I got sort of out of sorts with a buddy of yours, I may have punched him. It's a blur, sir. He handles the financials. You punched a burr, sir? Yes, I wanted to do what you did. Graduate in two, then join the revolution. He looked at me like I was stupid. I'm not stupid. So how'd you do it? How'd you graduate so fast? It was my parents' dying wish before they passed. You're an orphan, of course. I'm an orphan. God, I wish there was a war. Then we could prove that we're worth more than anyone bargained for. Can I buy you a drink? That would be nice. While we're talking, let me offer you some free advice. Talk less. What? Smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. Can't be serious. You want to get ahead? Yes. Fools who run their mouths off wind up dead. You can see the whole show is done in a very music-heavy style. There's a lot of rhythm and rapping lines. And, you know, I was thinking maybe my sermons would be more interested, uh, interesting if I started rapping them. So I'm going to give that a shot. No, I'm not going to give that a shot. Um, the only rap lyric that I really know by heart is the theme to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and I don't think that would help us very much. So I'm going to go back to Alexander, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. We'll let them handle the rapping. Talk less... Smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. These are are words from Aaron Burr to Alexander Hamilton. And Hamilton is confused when he hears this, right? He's a young man who's full of dreams and ideals and passion to change the world. He wants to get out there. He wants to make a difference. And don't we know people like that today who want to get out there and make a difference, make a name for themselves, be known, and really change the course of history Our social media world is full of opinions, full of big statements, full of people sharing their memes, and a culture of sometimes elevating my own view over yours and everyone else's. But I think all of that is just kind of the modern-day equivalent of what we see here in the Alexander Hamilton story, focusing on myself, making my future great. Alexander Hamilton says in the play, I'm not throwing away my shot. In other words, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to where I want to go to grab the power that I think I'm entitled to, the success that's coming to me. And we're going, back, we're going to come back to these words of Aaron Burr's a little later on when he gives the advice. But for now, I want you to see that the message of Hamilton's story in this musical is very attractive to us as Americans. Because 
we Americans hold on to the history of building what some call the greatest country in the world, and at the same time, we also want to see ourselves as the hero of our own story. I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm going to be a champion for my team. I'm going to stand up for my values and my beliefs because I'm right. That sounds like America to me. America is a divided place. Politics and policies have been driving apart friendships and families lately at a level I don't think any of us can remember seeing before. Our country is so divided politically, and not just divided, but so polarized that we create these oversimplified all-or-nothing positions about just about everything. And we communicate this idea that you're either with us or you're against us. In 2014, which it's hard to believe 2014 was eight years ago already, but the Pew Research Center did a study, and I'm going to show you some information from that. They came to the conclusion that our two major political parties were more polarized than ever before. In their study, over 90% of the people on either side were outside most of the overlap in views with the opposite group. And what that means, if you're not a statistics person, this means that nine out of ten people who are a Democrat, don't agree with almost any of the views held by the average Republican. And 9 out of 10 people who are a Republican don't agree with any of the views that, is held by an, uh, that are held by an average Democrat. So if you're someone who's a big cheerleader for your political team, this might seem logical to you, but the Pew study shows us that it hasn't always been this way. In fact, just a decade or two before, it wasn't this way. That divide has gotten wider as we go. And since 2014, we've had some of the most volatile elections and po political decisions that we've ever seen as a country. So I would not be surprised at all that if they update this information in 2024, we're going to see that division grow even more. The study contains a quote that really stuck out to me. Even in 2014, they quoted people that they interviewed as saying, quote, the other political team is so misguided that they threaten the nation's well-being. Did you hear that? We are now in an era that is marked by an attitude that says, if you disagree with me, you're a threat at least in political areas. But our divisions aren't related to political views, just only political views. I mentioned COVID-19 earlier. I can tell you that my heart has been hurt over this COVID-19 pandemic about the loss of relationship with people who just couldn't agree. There were some people who exited this very church because they struggled to reconcile their views about responding to the pandemic with the views and actions of people here. And that was really, really tough to swallow. The hardest part of it, I think, for me, as part of a staff and pastor team, is that no matter how we would have decided to proceed when making decisions about the health and safety of the church, we were going to lose with somebody. You just couldn't please everyone, and so we had to do the best we could. I am sure that there are ways we could have done it better. I'm sure, especially if we knew then some of the things we know now. But it was so hard to get through that time, and, and I wish some of my interactions with people would have gone differently. So I, I lament the loss of relationships over that time still sticks with me. So we're divided over politics. We're divided over COVID safety. We're divided over a ton of issues in our world today. Remember I said we share some things in common, 
Unfortunately, one of the things we share in common is these all-or-nothing positions that we end up in sometimes. I've heard some people saying, there's a problem with that, and I agree. There's a problem with that. We've got to address that somehow. We've got to get through it somehow. So that might mean, in order to bridge the gap, that we just chill out, that we just don't disagree so much. That's what some people would suggest. But how many of you know that there are healthy and unhealthy ways to deal with disagreement and conflict. I don't think that pretending there isn't a problem is a great answer. And I don't think that avoiding, with people, avoiding people that we disagree with is the answer either because we're going to have to share this world that we live in with people who live differently or think differently than us. And we need to be able to handle those relationships well. So this morning I'm here to tell you that the only way we can do that is by depending on God. It's the only way we can do that. The Bible tells us that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, right? I see some people mouthing those words with me. You know it. The Bible tells us that that's true. And so if that's true, then I'm here to to tell you today we need to make a declaration of our dependence on God, not on ourselves. We have an opportunity, I think, in this difficult time we live in, in this polarized climate that we live in, to proclaim the message that peace and unity and freedom come from God alone. Listen, if you're depending on something other than God in your life, it's time to make a change. If you're depending on the laws of our nation to make people follow Jesus, you're depending on the wrong thing. If you're depending on your ability to argue and convince someone they're wrong about what they believe, you are depending on the wrong thing. If you're depending on anything other than the work of the Holy Spirit to transform the lives of people who aren't seeking God, you're depending on the wrong thing. We can only depend on our God. So my declaration to you today is this. This is what we need to remember. We belong to the kingdom of God. This is my main point to start this message. So if you're taking notes, now's the time to start. We belong to the kingdom of God. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. In fact, it was the biggest theme of his entire ministry on earth. But what do those three words, kingdom of God, mean? We don't think a lot in America about kings and kingdoms, right? We think about Democracy, that's the type of environment we live in. That's the type of country we have. Our country was built on independence and freedom and granted to us certain rights as citizens of the United States. Those words, independence and freedom and rights, those are huge this weekend as the country celebrates the 4th of July. But I think they also seem to occupy our minds as Americans a lot of the time, maybe all the time, when we discuss major issues like gun violence and abortion and health care and taxes and so many other things. We are conditioned to believe that our independence, our freedom, and our rights are the most important things in our lives. And you had better not threaten those because in any way you threaten those, we're going to have a fight. Put that together with the idea that someone who disagrees with you is a threat And we have a recipe for disaster that we see being lived out in our public life and the polarized nature of it. But the kingdom of God means something completely different than this mindset. It's a kingdom, which means there's a king, right? Unless you're the king, you don't get to make the rules. 
In fact, you live in submission to the king. The king is the one who rules. So in the kingdom of God, the king is God. He's the one who reigns over all. Jesus did us the favor many times of calling out the difference between the kingdom of God and the structures of this world, how this world operates. One example is when he appeared before Pilate in John 18, and he said, the kingdom, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It's not like it in any way. The author, Donald Crable, famously calls it the upside-down kingdom because the things that are important in God's kingdom seem completely backwards from what's important in the power structures of this world. Now, you and I, at least for right now, have to live in this world. We have to deal and operate in the structures of this world. And I believe that's why we often see Christians, even those with the best of intentions, falling into the patterns and behavior of the rest of the world. We do things like trying to gain power and political influence or fighting with people that we think of as opposed to the ways of God in some form. Sometimes I think we imagine that we have to fight for God. As if God wasn't fully capable of defending himself. We think that we end up picking fights with people and we think we're doing it for God. But Jesus said here in John 18 when he was speaking to Pilate, he said, fighting for a king or a kingdom is the earthly way. It's not God's way. The Bible tells us God's plan to change the world is one that takes place in the heart. So if we want to see hearts changed... If we want to see the hearts of other people start to turn toward him, we had better make sure that our hearts have been changed first, that we've been transformed, that we look as much like our king as we can before we try to get anyone else to follow him with us. Take a look with me at Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2. This is going to be our recipe for changing our hearts and minds in the way that we interact in the world. Philippians chapter 2 starts in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. My friends, I long for all of us in this church family to know, way down deep in our souls, at the core of who we are, to know that we belong to God, that our identity is found in Him alone. Paul talks about being united with Christ, and he says that what it does for us is that it brings us comfort, and it brings us love, and it brings us community, and it brings us tenderness, and it brings us compassion. All these things that we value about the way we live our lives together come from being united with Christ. That's the foundation of our identity and who we are. We may live in a world that's full of me-first attitudes, but that's not what Scripture calls us to be like. Being united with Christ changes us from all of that. Now, I often say when I preach that I know there might be someone out there that doesn't actually believe in Jesus yet, and that's okay. This message is for you too, if that's you. I know that the scriptures here are given 
giving instructions to Christians, but this struggle is common to everyone. And so God's answer to the struggle is helpful for everyone too. If you're someone today who doesn't believe in Jesus, I would love to talk with you more about that after the service. Just come find me. But I hope that during this message, you'll find some hope to face the fractured world. And more than that, I hope that you hear and learn and I get to tell you that God loves you so much and that he wants your identity to be found in him alone. He never meant for your identity to be built on something other than him. Because all those things are too small, too temporary, and too unsatisfying to make you a whole and complete person. Only God can do that. Several months ago, I, I began working on the sermon ideas for this summer. And when I was doing that, I felt prompted, felt inspired to make this sermon stand by itself. That it wouldn't be tied to the series that came before and it wouldn't be tied to the one that comes next. And I think the reason that I was feeling that was because I've watched over the past few years as this polarization has happened even among people that I know and love. I've watched them interact with each other on social media and now it's become not just on social media, but more and more people are being emboldened face-to-face to to say things in ways and to people and, and say things in general that are hurtful that they never would have said before. I've seen them act in ways that are generally unhelpful in moving forward any of these important conversations that are going on in the world. I've seen Christians attack other Christians. Even though they both love Jesus, just because they might apply Scripture differently in the context of the modern world that we live in and the things that we're dealing with, the issues we're dealing with. And I hurt over that. It hurts to see it. It hurts because of the people who are being torn down. It hurts because of the lack of unity in the church. And it hurts because of the damage being done to the witness of the church. Now, please understand when I say this, I'm not pointing my finger at any of you. I'm not thinking of someone who's here that I've seen do that. What I'm thinking is that we as a church, Big C Church, throughout the world, we have a problem that's worth paying attention to. And that's this problem here. We're doing damage to our witness at the church, as a church. People look at us and think, there's nothing different about those Christians. They're just like us, but they think they're better. They're pretenders. They're liars. That's not the message that I want people to think about me or about us. Paul says in these verses to us, he's talking to the church. He says, we have the spirit of God in common and he encourages us to be in one spirit and of one mind. I don't think Paul meant that we're always going to agree on everything. I know we're not going to always agree on everything. But when we don't see eye to eye, we have to be committed to what comes next. Knowing we have the Spirit of God in common, we're not to put ourselves first in any way. We're to value others above ourselves. Not to look at our own interests, but to the interests of others. I believe that applies to us within the church as well as when we interact with people outside the church. People who aren't believers in Jesus. He goes on in verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul finishes talking to us about the way that our interactions with each other should look, the way that our relationships should be formed. And then what does he do? He holds up Jesus as the example. I always want to be good at doing that for you. For when I'm preaching, I want to be good at consistently and faithfully holding up Jesus as the example. I'm not your example. I'm just trying to be like him. I want you to want to be like him too. Jesus is our example. Paul says we are to be like Jesus. When we interact with each other, we're to take on the role of a servant and become obedient to God's leading. Jesus did this. It took him to the cross, and we know that his death and resurrection is what makes it possible for all men and women to be saved. So by following his example, by serving and loving others in humility, we share the grace of Jesus with people. We make it possible for them to see him because they see him in us. The foundation of our identity is in Christ. We need that reminder constantly. I think we do. When we interact with people in the world, we represent our king. We want people to know who he is by the way that we represent him. When we interact with people in the world, I'm going to say it again, we represent our king, and we want people to know who he is by interacting with us, by the way that we represent him. Saying that our identity is found in Christ goes hand in hand in saying we belong to the kingdom of God. Because let me ask you, when you think about who you are, what do you think about first? If I was to ask you, tell me who you are. What makes you you? What do you think about first? If it's not Jesus in you, you might need to realign your thinking. If I asked you what makes you who you are, would you answer first with your political party affiliation? Would you answer first with your country of origin? Would you answer first with your sexual orientation or your hobbies that you enjoy or the job that you have? No, I don't think you would. Because all of those things are not who you are, and they're certainly not the entirety of who you are. They're just a partial glimpse of some things that might be true about you. Because in reality, I don't think there's any such thing as a Republican Christian or a Democratic Christian or an American Christian or an Ethiopian Christian or any other kind of Christian. We are Christians first. That's supposed to supersede every other thing in our lives. Every identifiable marker about who we are comes in submission to our king. We are Christians first. The person of Jesus Christ is the foundation we build on. It's not the icing on top. It's so important that we show that we belong to the kingdom of God and that we're depending on him and not ourselves. So my encouragement to you today is to be representing our king when, when you interact with people. It doesn't matter whether they follow Jesus or not. So how do we do that? How do we do that in a world full of polarized views and difficult people and social media and all this stuff that we've got to navigate? How do we do that? How do we represent our king? Well, Aaron Burr told Alexander Hamilton, talk less, smile more. I'll start there because I like that. I think that would get us pretty far, don't you? Talk less, smile more. What people don't need is another argument in their face. They might need a little kindness. I think that would go a long way. 
But the second part of Burr's advice is where I might get off the train, because he said, never let them know what you're against or what you're for. And I have a hard time with that. I'll tell you, there's two reasons why. First, I believe there's no room for me to be against someone because God is for you. God is for you. He is always for you. There isn't a person alive whom God is against. If you've done something in your life that you think has made God angry at you, or if you don't believe him in him at all, I'm here to tell you he still loves you and he still wants to be in close relationship with you. God is for you, and that means I am for you. I will never be against you. You're a person whom God loves. There's a second reason that I have trouble with don't let them know what you're against or what you're for, and this is where it gets tricky. Because as Christians, it is important for us to know what we believe, to hold tightly to the truth of God that's revealed to us in Scripture. Sometimes that makes us want to stand up and be counted and shout the things that we're against or the things that we're for. But I got to tell you, that's got to take a back seat to being for the people that God loves. Because over and over again, Jesus showed love. He's our example. Our being for people, being loving to people, and being kind to people will never be in conflict with the truth of God's word because Jesus is our example. He showed love to the outcast. He showed grace to the sinner, even as he was telling them not to sin anymore. How do you do that? Jesus did it. My friends, I think we have to get good at holding the tension between what is true and what is loving. Because there's a lot of things that you can say that are true that aren't very loving. And there are some things you can say that are loving that might not be true. But there's a sweet spot in the middle where you're speaking the truth in love. And that's what we're called to do. Oftentimes that isn't even done with words. Oftentimes that's done with actions. It could look like being there for someone when they're struggling with addiction. It might be buying food for someone or paying their rent. It might be giving support when there's an unexpected death or an unexpected pregnancy in the family. If we did these kinds of things a lot more and argued a lot less, the world would be a better place and God's love would be better known. Sometimes I know we're going to disagree. We're going to disagree with people on their views. We're going to disagree on life choices we're going to disagree. We're going to disagree about important things. When that happens, when you face someone that you think is on the other side from you, I want you to remember three things. Number one, ask questions. When you're facing somebody that you're not seeing eye to eye, ask questions. Tell me, why do you think that way? Why is that important to you? How has this issue made an impact on your life? Help me understand. I always think back to my kids in elementary school. The elementary school had, had a phrase that they would teach to the kids, seek to, be under, seek to understand before being understood. And I always like that. Ask questions. Get to know why that person feels that way. What do they hope for? Number two, after asking questions, look for common ground. What can we agree on? What do we both value? How can we do that together? Ask questions, look for common ground, and finally, love like Jesus. Because after you've done that, and you've found that common place to stand together, you have an opportunity 
to show love. Remember, Jesus showed compassion and love even while he was calling people not to sin anymore. Let your life be a model of what it looks like to follow him. Let that be the biggest witness you have because it opens the door to have those loving conversations. People won't care what you know until they know how much you care, right? Right. Loving like Jesus is not about standing in your corner, on your team, on your side, shouting your own views to gain power and dominance over someone else. It's about taking on the heart of a servant. Be an example of Jesus to people. So in this musical... Alexander Hamilton wanted to be part of a great story. He wanted to make history. Friends, you and I are already part of a great story. The story is of God's love and his redemption. That story overtakes every other story in our lives. It's more important. It's more powerful. It's more transforming. It's more life-changing than any other story. doesn't matter a political story, a view that you hold, uh, anything that you have in your life. God has already given us what we need to make his love and redemption real to people. So whether you interact with people on social media or face-to-face, remember, represent our king well in the story. What if instead of declaring our independence and our individual freedom, we declared every day that we are dependent on God and that our relationship with him is what sets us free? What if people learned about grace, love, and forgiveness from God because they saw us offering grace, love, and forgiveness? What if we looked for ways to serve people who think and act differently with us, showing with our actions that God's love is real? My friends, we belong to the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of grace and of reconciliation. So today, as you take these notes and these thoughts with you about how to come together with people, remember, that's not weakness. It is strength. It is God's strength. When we do these things, we're showing the world that our eternal hope is so much greater than this temporary life. So be a carrier of this message of hope, and let's declare our dependence on God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have given us everything we need to show your love and redemption to people. Father, you are calling us to be your agents of reconciliation in the world. I firmly believe that. I know that this church is full of people who love people, who don't want to hurt people, who don't want to shout at them or argue with them. Father, sometimes we can't help ourselves. For better or for worse, we feel like sometimes we have to stand up and fight. And Lord, we just pray that you will help us to show love first so that our lives can communicate the things that you want people to hear and know about who you are. Father, help us not to get in the way of that. Lord, we love you. I pray that today these words will change all of our hearts, mine included, Lord, and that you will lead us to show your light and your hope to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand and worship with us, please?